Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, we discussed the planning stages of the gunpowder plot. Up until now, the plotters have been surprisingly competent and effective for a conspiracy famous for its failure. In this episode, we'll watch the plan to blow up Parliament quickly unravel and fail, as well as discuss the consequences for the plotters, English Catholics, and England itself. Let's begin. Okay, we're back on HI101, here with Phil Danny. Hello! And last time we were talking about uh, how carefully the gunpowder plot was planned out. Just really carefully and well orchestrated up until October-ish. Surprisingly few um, issues or or leaks. Yeah. Uh, or problems of any, time, of any kind. It's basically like a crock pot that seals itself, you know, everything's simmering. It's not an analogy I would have picked, but sure, let's, let's roll with I it. Know, I bought one of those recently, man. I, I like it. It's pretty cool advice. Slow kick in every day. What happened next is referred to as the Monteagle letter. Okay. William Parker, fourth baron of Monteagle. Uh-huh. As I said, these guys all have too many names. Sure. Uh, he received an anonymous letter on October 26th, and this letter didn't give any details but basically said might not want to go to parliament on the first day of parliament yeah who was it we don't know we have a best guess you may not remember but i asked you to remember a man named francis tresham no not (laughs) even like honestly literally no recognition at all not even like "Eh, that sounds kind of zero Recollection. If we scan back, there is definitely audio of me telling you to remember him and you being like, got it. <laughs> nope. Not even a little. For sure. Can he... we pull back the curtain and let everyone know that this is one recording session? <laughs> and that was literally like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Don't tell them all. Yes. No, this was very a very short amount of time ago. The reason we suspect Francis Tresham is that he was Monteagle's brother-in-law. Mm. And involved in the plot. Tresham, yes. Yeah. yeah, he was involved in the plot. He was added in fairly late. Seems likely. Now, late in the plot, there was some concern about collateral damage. We talked about Catesby specifically and the leader of the, the plot and his personal concerns uh, about killing anyone who wasn't the king or Protestant. He, basically, yeah. he was concerned about killing Catholics that might be there. Literal collateral damage. Literal collateral damage uh, when he decided to blow up the House of Lords. Like a crazy person might want to. 
<laughs> also a decent point to revisit here. Kind, kind These of a guys good point. Are kind of a good point. A lot of people were going, hang on, what about any Catholics that might be there in the room? Shouldn't we be warning anybody? Ugh. And Catesby was going, no, we're not going to warn anybody. Don't don't warn anybody. Yeah. And people were kind of going like, well, what about this specific person? What about that specific person? Catesby's going, no, don't warn any of them. Somebody at one point actually asked Catesby if their souls were in jeopardy. And he said, don't worry about it. <sighs> so... We're seeing some cracks. I mean, this this plot has it's been, going been going on so well up until this point. It's been going on a year and a half with zero leaks. Yeah, like let's let's just take a moment to at least acknowledge how incredible that is. Most That's... plots don't do that. Not with thirty people involved. Not with almost forty powder kegs yeah. underneath Parliament involved. Powder kegs that have been proven to be very effective since. Mm-hmm. Very oh. effective. I, it should have fallen apart long before this. Yeah, for sure. Basically, Monteagle gets this letter. He immediately shows it to other lords going, like, what do you, what do you think this is about? Like, what's going on here? And word gets back to Catesby. Because remember, all of the, the people involved in this plot are nobility. Nobility, nobility themselves. They are involved in government. Uh, they all know all of these people. Word gets back to Catesby, and Catesby goes, "Oh no way, that's 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 interesting." And he goes back, and I and, gotta go see a guy about a thing in the horse and the water, uh, <laughs> two two in the bush and one of the hand. I don't sure. remember. I gotta all of that. <laughs> and he goes back, and he goes to Tresham and goes, "Come on, man! Like, what are you what are you doing? You done effed up, son." And Tresham goes, "I didn't send it. Didn't send the letter." Uh huh. But maybe we should. Now, now that the letter's sent, maybe we should think about abandoning the plot. I don't know. It might be safer that way. <sighs> Seems like the likely candidate. So, again, we've never proved that it was Tresham that sent sure. the Monteagle letter. But <laughs> it's probably Tresham. Mm-hmm. Now, when this letter is sent, uh, James was off on a hunting expedition. The king. King James. Doing real good, Phil. <laughs> Woohoo! Now the the letter the, the letter, as I said, was twenty sixth October. Yeah. So November fifth is that date that we're supposed yeah, to remember. Like remember. <laughs> um, I love I love that. Remember, remembering has become a verb. Well, yeah, it, it's it's a very specific one. It applies yeah. only to November fifth, sixteen oh five. No. <laughs> it applies to every November fifth. When James gets back on October 1st, he's he's shown the letter. Yeah. And they're like, dude, there's something going on here. He's actually shown by uh, a lord named uh, Salisbury. Uh, who, as a mistake. As a mistake. I don't know if it was named after him specifically, but <laughs> same spelling and everything. That family. Basically. Of, yeah. of, the, of the stake Salisbury's. <laughs> um, what was this guy's name? Lord Salisbury. You didn't have a first name? I didn't write one down. Okay, we'll call them Henry because they're all named Henry. Why not? Lord Henry Salisbury. 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 Salisbury was concerned that, I mean, his, his family had some Catholic leanings. So he was concerned about how to, produ- uh, to present this to James and basically decided to just like show him the letter and let him draw his own conclusions. Yeah. And basically, the, the interesting thing here is that James looks at this, and the first thing he thinks of is an explosion. Now, it's very, it's very vague uh, wording, 
Yeah. The closest it, it, it comes to saying anything about specifics is is um, a blow against Parliament. Huh. The reason that James is so uh, suspicious of this is that his his father was nearly killed in an assassination attempt by explosion. Um, gunpowder explosion? Yeah, two two kegs of, of, of gunpowder. Uh, he was actually killed that night, but it seems that the explosion didn't do the job, so the assassin strangled him. Huh. But... Nevertheless, the idea of assassination by explosion was kind of on James's mind. Sure. Which is really interesting. Imagine that leaving a scar. I can, I can imagine it as well. By the time, you know, they're, they're working through all of this internally. By November 3rd, Catesby and a number of the other conspirators, as I mentioned, went on a, a hunting party sure. up to the Midlands where uh, James's daughter Elizabeth was staying yeah. uh, in, in uh, preparation to kidnap her when... Parliament was blown up. Again, just stand up, gentlemen. So they're they're off on their their hunting party. On November fourth, they decide they, they they left it a couple of days. The the investigators James and James and several lords decided to leave it till the fourth because they wanted to catch somebody in the act. Yeah. So they left till the fourth of November. They do a, a top to bottom search of Parliament, and they go down into the cellar thingy into the cellar. And they find uh, the the undercroft is what there it was called. Uh, they go down into the undercroft and they find all of these pow- these piles of of firewood, and a man standing there, who calls himself. Oh no, he doesn't give a name. He says that he's he's Percy's servant, not the not the lord, the the the, yeah, the yeah. man at arm, the the sergeant at arms. Is it is it John Johnson? They don't ask his name. But is it? They don't ask his name. But they they it? don't know at this point what okay. his name is. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Percy's servant. Uh, I'm just here looking after his firewood. Just, <laughs> oh, okay. Just want to make sure that nothing happens to it. So they, they leave. <laughs> Giggling like this guy. Well, no, they leave. They're like, oh, okay, you're just guarding what? his firewood. They go for it? <laughs> I, I, at first, anyway. Okay. So they, they leave. They, they just leave him alone. Oh, and they go God. back up. And now... As I've mentioned before, uh, Percy, the the Percy who is Earl of Northumberland, sure, the one that actually doesn't know anything about this plot, not the man at arms, uh, correct, but the one that they hope will raise the yes. the, the puppet queen. Yes, yes. He's he's known like his family is known to be Catholic. Yep. So they go back up and they're like, oh, there's nothing down there, just just Percy's servant. Yeah. They go, that guy is a Catholic sympathizer. Maybe we should take a closer look. So close. So they go back down late at night. When John Johnson isn't there? Well, John Johnson, <laughs> Guy Fox has left. Yeah. He's come back in, okay. the, in the time in between because he's getting ready to uh, to, to wait for, for Parliament. But not that kind? Hmm? He's, he's getting ready to make Boom Boom, but not that kind? I guess. <laughs> sure. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's the one time you can say make boom boom and not mean poop. I, I can't argue with that, I suppose, <laughs> Phil. I really can't. <laughs> uh, they go back down and they find Fox back down there. Yeah. And they say, listen, man, who are you? Yeah. What are you doing down here? He says, oh, I'm John Johnson. First time name's given. They find him down there. He is wearing... A hat, a riding cloak, yep. riding boots, spurs. Yeah, because he's ready to leave. Has a watch uh-huh. for timing out the fuses. And he has... Are watches not common? 
Well, I mean, they're less common. They're less common. Yeah. Not everyone's carrying a pocket watch. It's worth making note of. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's especially worth making note of because they look around and they find powder kegs. Because he's also holding slow matches. Yeah. Which is, uh, they're, they're sort of like really slow burning. They're, they're usually made out of like waxed rope. Yep. And it's used for generally touching off charges. Mm-hmm. So it's like he went down, or they went down there and like, I don't know, found a guy who said his name was Person J Normalman <laughs> and was holding, uh, you know, was, was holding, well, like I was going to say like a pack of C4 and also a motorcycle helmet, right? Like, like, oh, and by, and by the way, just works for Edward Snowden. No big deal. And this is the NSA. Like, don't, don't worry about it. I like your parallel drawing skills. <laughs> like, like, it's the most suspicious thing in the universe. Yeah. So these guys are like, okay, listen, man, you're you're under arrest. And he's like, okay. Now, oh, all right. like, I mean, like a couple of guys went down there with some guards, like, and, yeah. and they just arrested him and he went. Like, like what's he going to say? No, like, those aren't my powder kegs. <laughs> these aren't the powder kegs you're looking for. <laughs> oh, how did those get down there? <laughs> Why are they underneath all of my master's firewood? And, oh, and, why, and why do I have this fuse to light them off? <laughs> and why is it literally in my hand? This is very strange, man. Person J. Normalman goes up with them to see the king. And the king's like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> Yo, like, dog. What be the haps? So they bring him before the king, morning of November 5th. And Fox says, yep, I'm I'm John Johnson. I'm acting alone. Uh, I put all those powder kegs down there myself. I want to just blow up Parliament. And they go, like, who are you working with? Nobody. Okay, what's your real name? John Johnson. They searched him. They found a letter in his coat. Oh, what? Uh, addressed to Guy Fox. They said, is your real name Guy Fox? And he said, nope, that's one of my pseudonyms. He's <laughs> <laughs> really just trying to sell this bit. So, I mean... The way they show it in the movies is much more exciting, yeah, but a lot less hilarious in yeah. my mind. <laughs> uh, it's it's more slapstick than it is dramatic. He yes. didn't try and fight fight his way out, nothing. But he would not give up a single thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, word has spread that John Johnson has been arrested for uh, well, and, and I mean to the general public, and of course it gets back to the other conspirators really quickly. The ones who are still in London kind of go underground as quickly as possible, make arrangements to kind of get out of there. Yeah. Um, word gets out uh, as far as uh, the Midlands to Catesby. And the thing is, Catesby decides, because, I mean, he's really committed at this point. Yeah. He's put everything into this. He decides, you know what? Even without all of those people that needed to be dead, dead, Yeah. maybe an armed rebellion can still happen here. Maybe we can still pull this off. Maybe if we have Princess Elizabeth... We can still make this happen. As soon as you started bringing this guy back, and I was like, ah, oh, he's still going to try and kidnap the, kidnap the princess. Everything's fallen apart at this point in time. Like, everything's fallen apart. They are done. Cut your losses, man. Yep, he did not do that. Is that why we know his name? <laughs> what, Catesby? Yeah, basically. I, I mean, it, there was enough tying him to the plot that it would have been found out sooner or later. So Catesby tells the other guys that he's with... That Parliament's been blown up. It was it was a success. This guy's a sociopath, psychopath, even. He's uh, he's got issues, man. He's got many many issues. Some sort of path. 
So they go off. Meanwhile, you know, Johnson is still saying, you know, I, I worked alone, all of this stuff. King James goes, okay, normally we don't do this. At this point in time, torture is illegal as a, an interrogation method, except yeah. for special circumstances in which the monarch personally signs off on it. He yeah. goes, ah, we got to get some more information out of this guy. We got to figure out what's going on here. Yep. Clearly, John Johnson isn't a real name. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, more... More reasonably, clearly, he's not working alone. You would think that with all the, the cleverness required to keep this plan quiet for as long as it as it was kept under wraps, mm-hmm. he'd be able to come up with the pseudonym slightly more convincing. I person J whatever. Here's here's my here's my impression of of Guy Fox specifically. Yeah, and I mean he's the guy that we all like to talk about because he's the guy most associated with the gunfire plot. Because he got caught. I mean, he didn't even plan the thing. He wasn't even the mastermind. Yeah. Guy Fox was like, if this was the heist movie, and you know, and Catesby is Brad Pitt or whatever. Yeah. Guy Fox is like the demolitions expert that they bring in that yeah. has like four lines in the movie, yeah. but is really really good with the bombs. Yeah. Like, almost a little too good. He's Don Cheadle. He's a little Don Cheadle, but not funny. He's like, yeah. Anyways. Slapstick Don Cheadle, apparently. Well, I mean, I don't think the humor that comes out of his, his capture, I mean, that's that's all us, right? Yeah. I I don't think that Guy Fox was a mastermind of any sort. I think he was the consummate soldier. Yeah. He knew how to take orders. He knew how to follow orders. He knew how to give orders to the people underneath him to make sure his own orders were followed through on. Yeah. But I don't think he was really the guy to be making the plans. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, resorting to John Johnson as a pseudonym, I think that was the pseudonym he had, like that that came to mind for Just him. A quick defense mechanism, well, like, first thing out of your out of your head. And he had used it before. I don't think he was the most creative guy. He was yeah. good with gunpowder. Uh, he was an excellent fighter from from all accounts. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had fought ten years worth of mercenary wars. Yeah. And had ro- risen through the ranks. That's not something you do if you're not a good fighter. Of course. But. In terms of actual strategy, in terms of intelligence, there were, there were other people in this this plot. That's like, why there were more than one person in the plot. They could have come up with a better name for the guy. And I mean, it's it's notable that he would not talk. Yeah, like, he was a very loyal man to the people he chose to be loyal to. Very loyal sociopath, psychopath. <laughs> exactly. James authorized torture against him, and it took. It took several days worth of torture in order to get any information out of him whatsoever. And I mean, James even specified, threaten him with torture first. If that doesn't work, start applying methods of torture from like the the least horrific yeah. in, in progression to the most. He wasn't trying to... Didn't want to maim the guy, he just needed answers. He wasn't trying to punish him specifically through torture. He was yeah. trying to in- interrogate through torture. I, I'm not necessarily trying to forgive torture, but if there's any situation in which torture makes sense as an interrogation method, this yeah. is pretty much it. Yeah. This is the, the Jack Bauer torture method <laughs> where you know the guy knows something yeah. and aren't just planting just false gotta, memories. You just got to get it out of him. Yeah. So, I mean, still deplorable, but yeah. he's on a time frame here. Yeah, um, Meanwhile, he has not attended the opening of Parliament for obvious reasons. You know, all the gunpowder in the basement. All the the gunpowder and whatnot. Sent a statement to Parliament explaining his absence. 
<laughs> did he me- did they did he mention you might not want to go there? Well, I mean, they they removed the gunpowder from okay. from the under, uh, the undercroft and moved it actually to the Tower of London. They they um, appropriated it as evidence. Mm-hmm. Also moved Fox to the the Tower of London where he was tortured. Uh, he didn't break until November seventh. Wow. Meanwhile, Catesby and his bunch kind of realized that this whole capture thing wasn't really going to work out. Yeah, they stopped out. Uh, they stopped out at a place called Warwick Castle mm-hmm. to gather some supplies, grab some ammunition and things like that because they weren't really... I mean, they were supposed to be a hunting party. They had a couple guns and not much ammunition. Yep. So they're like, well, we got to turn this into a fight. Let's get ready for a fight. A bunch of their powder got wet. So what they decided to do... And this is going to sound more crazy than it actually is, so just bear with me. Right. This wasn't. This wasn't quite as terrible an idea... As it's going to sound. Oh, this is going to be good. They decided to dry their their wet powder out by spreading it out really thinly near a fire. I know. I can see the look on your face. I was just going to say, dear listeners, if only you could see the expression <laughs> on my face. Well, please continue. I'd love to hear more about this very stupid idea. Gunpowder at this point in time doesn't really just explode. Uh-huh. It... It's more like a really hot burn. Okay. And the way that you propel a bullet through this is making this really hot burn happen in a really small space. Sure. You got to contain it. You got to yep. compress it. Right? So spread out, powder isn't really that flammable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, you know in Bugs Bunny cartoons where they, like, spread the powder out and then, like, t- touch yeah. the match to the one? And it, yeah, 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 it follows yeah. along. That's the powder we're talking about here. Yeah. So really Wasn't what you should... Like- render it inert what do you mean like burning your powder won't that prevent it from working as gunpowder they're spreading it near the fire Um, the idea and they're watching it yes the idea being that if it caught on fire you just stamp that spot out Uh it burns that slowly yeah or should if you're paying attention properly were they nope (laughs) of course not or else you would be telling me this story their their powder caught fire it went up a little bit faster than expected uh, and burned a little bit higher than expected. Great. A couple of them got singed, uh-huh. including Catesby himself. And word spread really quickly through the party that Catesby had just been killed in the fire. Yep. There was a lot of tension going on here. Sure. Catesby was fine. Yep. The problem being now that a bunch of them left because they figured, well, we're done now. Yeah. Uh, Story's over. The ones that were left no longer had any powder. By this time, people have figured out that this roving band of people are the remaining conspirators. I mean, there's there's a manhunt on, right? This is fairly... Two, two dots that are fairly easy to connect here. So, they uh, stop off at a place called uh, Holbeck House, um, owned by one of their... one of the conspirators. I, I didn't mention his name. He wasn't that important other than owning this house. Sure. They stop there for shelter, and uh, a sheriff and a posse of 200 men show up. Oh, 200 is all. There's a shootout. Percy is killed. Which one? The one that's not a lord. The one that I was actually in on the uh, on the conspiracy. Gotcha. The one that was a, a man at arms. Yep. Catesby uh, is killed in the okay. shootout. A bunch of other people are killed. There, there were a couple of brothers that were killed in the shootout. The rest of them are arrested. Sounds like he, the ones that died, probably got off easy. Uh, to some extent, <laughs> that that might not be inaccurate. <laughs> well, I was thinking the whole time, like. 
Okay, so we know who Catesby is. He eventually is either found out or gets caught. That can't end well for him, but this is about as good as he can expect. This is kind of a prequel story in that we know how it ended, yeah. and therefore no one's, no one's fate is really a mystery in all of this. But I mean, like, as far as Catesby dying, it's probably the best way he could have picked. Probably being shot by this posse was yeah. was was good for Catesby. That's yeah. about the best. I mean, Not other that than I'm saying that's a good thing, but I also don't really condone you know execution and being drawn and quartered and all that nonsense. The the only other option he really had in terms of a good outcome would have been somehow escaping to the continent. Yeah, and that would have been very very difficult for yeah. for him in that situation. I mean, they've been heading north from London, not south towards the coast, oh, further from hell. Further from help. So a bunch of other major guys were all arrested. And that essentially was the the end of the active threat against the king, against parliament. That was the end of gunpowder plot. And that's really what we're supposed to remember right there. Okay. So uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the, the aftermath. What kind of came out of all of this. Sounds good. We're back on HI101 here with Phil Downey. Hey. And we just talked about the, uh, the gunpowder plot pretty much entirely falling apart. One might say it bombed out. Sure. Let's go with it. Without the, you know, explosion. I thought you were going to say blew up in their faces. <laughs> I think <laughs> that that's much better. Too. Yeah. <laughs> you could say that the plot also kind of fizzled out. Dang. We're on fire. Like the plot wasn't. Boom. <laughs> That's enough of that. (laughs) Enough wordplay. Oh, who's letting us put this on the, like, actually on the internet? Who's going to listen to this? Sorry, guys. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Basically, anyone who wasn't killed in the standoff was subjected to interrogation over around 10 weeks. The interrogation was led by uh, a man named uh, Sir Edward Cook. Was uh, torture allowed in these interrogations as well? They were given permission to torture. Okay. Generally, threat of torture was more than enough to get these guys talking. I mean, it's a pretty bad thing to have happen to you. The fact that it took several days to break Guy Fawkes. Yeah. And that it, it, they almost certainly had to resort to the rack before getting any information from him. Yeah. Uh, I think goes back to my point earlier about him being a very good soldier, even if he's not a very good strategist. The, the man, they had a really hard time breaking him. For for reference, you should probably put uh, the link to the Wikipedia article on what the rack is. Yeah. So, so, so listeners who don't know, find out just how terrible and terrifying that device is. Human beings are incredibly inventive, incredibly resourceful, and we've put a lot of time into thinking about how to inflict pain on other humans and unfortunately we're also fairly resilient so we can last a while under those circumstances so the things the things that we've come up with for each other in order to cause discomfort are are horrific to say the absolute least yeah that's That's putting it mildly it's a massive understatement very unsettling yeah we we talked a little bit about a, a couple of things in the witch trials but mostly we glazed over them yeah I I I know about a lot of these. I don't like thinking about it, to be perfectly no, honest with uh, you. 
I'm I not... mean, we're on the topic here. The torture scene in V for Vendetta, it's yeah. a, that's very mild, and it still makes me uncomfortable. Oh, incredibly mild. It, it's, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not weak-stomached by any means, yeah, but... me either. My goodness. It's unsettling. It's, it's, it's extremely unsettling. And it's amazing how much better we've got at causing each other uh, psychological trauma rather than physical trauma, because yeah. it's worse. Yep. Go human beings. It lasts longer. Uh, normally I'm a little more optimistic about things <laughs> than this. Uh, this has been a bit of a downer. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's really understandable that just basically saying, listen, tell us what we need to know or we're going to put you on the rack. Oh, quick question. Is, while these folks are being tortured, is Guy Fox still alive or have they already yes. kind of... Okay, so yep. they haven't... They haven't really like made it public, I guess, what's happened to him yet? Oh, no, they've made it very public. He's okay. being kept in the Tower of London. If England has generally been good at something in history, if you want to pin down... I mean, they've been good at a lot of things. Sure. But if you really want to pin down one specific thing that they've been very good at, and you want to kind of cut out all the conquest-type stuff, yeah. just as a society, yeah. uh, it's rule of law. Yeah. It's always been very important to England... I mean, with with the odd exception, obviously, but mm-hmm. trial by jury, sure. process of of law. I mean, they've obviously never been afraid to execute a person, but not without due process. Yeah, uh, it's it's very rare in again, not not impossible to find, but it's very rare in English history in the last eight hundred years to find cases of of sort of mob mentality on a state sanctioned level. Sure. When when we did the witch trials last time, I, I barely touched on England at all. Wow. The only the only instance I really found of of actual like witch hunters where people are going around and kind of doing things themselves actually took place during the English Civil War, mm-hmm. where there essentially was no government. Yeah. So I mean, you you needed that sort of chaos in order to break the the rule of law and and the the adherence to rule of law that sure. England seems to kind of. Hold dear, not to not to romanticize England too much, but uh, it's it's an interesting feature that even even a man who was standing there ready to light fuses to blow up a building to kill the king, the king's family, a Hundreds number of, of nobles, and and uh, and and clergy, and all of these people, even this man, they're going okay. Well, let's find out what he knows and then keep him in jail until we can give him a trial. Yeah, it's it's. It's a point in their favor, in my yeah, opinion. For sure. So he's spending all of this time in uh, uh, in the Tower of London. All of these people that have been arrested are in the Tower of London, and they're kind of taking their time going through building this case. Now, Edward Coke. Edward, I keep saying Edward Coke. It's spelled C O K E. It's yeah. pronounced Cook. Okay. Uh, Edward Cook was vehemently anti-Catholic. He yeah. was he was very very anti-Catholic, and he was digging hard at this one because it was so obviously a catholic conspiracy yeah. uh, to the point that a number of unrelated people were questioned about this were brought in were arrested occasionally even fined henry percy so the earl of northumberland the one yeah. with the title that didn't know about it yeah. uh, he was actually stripped of his title and he was kept jailed until 1621 wow the thing That's with a long time well 16 years right yeah it, it is here's here's the reasoning behind it number one there's no way to prove he didn't know anything about the plot. Sure. Number two, two people had their full confessions published. Mm-hmm. Guy Fox and a guy named Thomas Winter. 
Thomas Winter was one of the first people that Catesby had approached. Yep. So he had been he had been the one that recruited Guy Fox. He had been on in on the plot from the start. Gotcha. And he was the one that was doing things like implicating people like Earl of Northumberland as being a potential part of their future plan. Yeah. So he in his confession he's saying that the Earl of Northumberland we we'd like him to be Lord Protector over Princess Elizabeth or that was our plan. Yeah. Well, when he says that in his in his confession, that's pretty damning evidence. Yep. He also had dinner with Thomas Percy on the 4th. The one that's the conspirator. Yeah. They had dinner together. Mm. That looks real bad. Doesn't look good. So he was stripped of his title, as I said, uh, in jail for, for 16 years. He was also fined 30,000 pounds. Quite a bit back then? Uh, I measured it out at 5.7 million pounds now. So a little over $10 million Canadian. Would he have had that kind of money? Sure. Around? More than that? I, I would imagine more. Like a lot more? Like enough to still be okay afterwards? Like how big of a slap I on the I don't think he was great afterwards because his title was gone. Yeah. I mean, when you're, a, when you're a, a landed noble in England, your money is coming from your land yeah. and from your title. Yeah. So yes, he could have raised this money. I don't know how much he would have had left afterwards. I, I could not, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't even know if I'll be able to find that. I'll, I'll take a look and see if I can add something to the notes. But Why was he finally released from jail? It, that was the length of his sentence. I okay. mean, he, he wasn't directly... Because he wasn't directly implicated, his, his sentence was much lighter. That's... Oh, I wouldn't want to say fair, but understandable. I mean, he was... He was charged of conspiracy to commit regicide. Yeah. 16 years is about as good as you can hope for. Not the rest. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, he lived. Yeah. I, and that's it's more, more than, than you can say. can say. I'm sure. Exactly. The uh, remember we were talking about the the priests uh, Tesmond who took the the confession and Father Garnet who was the head of the Jesuits in England. I do recall these folks? They got a little worried when things started going down. Yeah. For obvious reasons, another priest named Gerard was lumped in. They were eventually found and arrested and brought in for questioning. Mm-hmm. They threatened Garnet with the rack, and he basically responded that threats are for little boys. <laughs> They couldn't crack the guy. They wow. they couldn't get him to talk, and they, they didn't. Put him on the rack? Well, they didn't want to put him on the rack because they didn't actually have anything yeah. on him. Uh, Cook was basically chasing a hunch with him. Yeah. But what they ended up doing was putting the two of them back in their cells in a way, him and uh, Gerard, yeah. into the cells in such a way that they could speak to each other. Yeah. And they they eavesdropped, and they heard Garnet say that only one man could uh, connect him to the conspirators, meaning. Tesmond, but that was enough to yeah. start chasing him, right? So eventually, all three of them were lumped in with the conspirators and and charged with the same charges. Yeah, Garnet tried to, in his defense, well, number one, he he tried to demonstrate that he did not actively take part in the conspiracy, which sure. is reasonable. He didn't. Yeah. He also tried to explain the seal of confession to them. Yeah. This is a country that has been Anglican for over sixty years. They, yeah, they, they didn't, they didn't care. Again, I, I, I mentioned it last time. I feel bad for Garnet in that he was really caught in a in, between a rock and a hard place on this one. Yeah, he can't really tell what he knows because he'd be breaking seal of confession. But now that they're telling him 
that he knew about this stuff. Now that they're charging him with knowing about this stuff, yeah. he has to defend himself somehow. So he, in fact, has to admit that he knew about it under seal of confession yeah. in order to try and defend himself. That sucks. He, there's no win. Yeah. There's no win there. As I said, Cook was really anti-Catholic. He ended up listing the three priests at the top of the list of names of conspirators, above Catesby, above Fox. He was looking to make an example. That's rough. Yeah, and a lot of Catholics at the time in England were really worried about what the fallout was going to be on this. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really obvious parallels with our own times that I'm not going to bother drawing right now because they're that obvious. Regular everyday Catholics did not want to be lumped in with Catesby, with Fox, with, with all of these men. No kidding. In the end, they ended up charging all of these these people with, with treason, among other things, and they were sentenced to be executed. Mm-hmm. They were, as, as you've made reference to a number of times, sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, which is... I'm a, shaking my head. It's, it's, it's a horrific method of, of execution. I wouldn't say the worst, but it's up there. It's pretty bad. It's, it's really, really, really bad. It depends on where you are and what time you are in history as to how exactly it's carried out. Yeah. Generally, what ends up happening is that you are dragged by the neck behind a horse to the place of execution and then pulled apart by four horses. Sometimes they'll do things like disemboweling in there. Sometimes uh, uh, mutilation of genitalia, like all sorts of really terrible stuff. They try and kill Example you. Making. Yeah, they try and kill you in the slowest, worst most painful way possible. Yeah. Fox, interestingly enough, despite this part. despite being uh, incredibly weakened by the, the days and days of torture that they put him through, yep. he managed to... Because normally what they do is, is they, they hang you, but they... they there's, hmm, we're getting into more specifics here. There's two types of hanging. Yep. Either there is a drop and it breaks your neck and you die instantly. Yep. Or... They hang you slowly, so they just kind of dangle you by the neck and you slowly suffocate. Yeah, asphyxiation, which is far worse. Yep. Far, far, far worse. Fox managed to climb up onto and then jump off of the scaffold to break his own neck so he didn't have to go through the entire ordeal of being quartered. Uh, There's just so much badness happening here. Yep. Like, the guy's a monster. Yep. No questions asked. Yep. But what would be done to him would be monstrous. Yes. Which really is a quote from that movie again, but, you know. (laughs) The The only thing I can say in any sort of defense of that sentencing is that you have to remember that this happened 400 years ago. Yeah. Not that that makes it okay in any way, shape, or form, but put into context of the times... This was not unusual for the crime that they had committed. Yeah, and they sure. had committed it and they were guilty. Yeah. Again, doesn't make it any less horrific, but it's not as though James was some sadistic monster yeah, for doing this. Yeah, it wasn't this. any worse than what anyone else was doing. Exactly. It's just that what everyone was doing was pretty bad. And that's the amazing thing about all of this for me is that James wasn't a sadistic monster. James was a very moderate man. Yeah. The, the persecution that was being riled against by these by by Catesby by Fox by all these conspirators I mean times were better for them than it had been in a while yeah it just wasn't enough it just wasn't enough for them absolutely which is yeah yeah it's it's funny how that works now obviously measures were put into place afterwards 
uh, that kind of cracked down on Catholicism within England. Sure. Things like um, sacramental tests were put into place. Um, a sacramental test is basically they they required people to take communion from an Anglican church, mm-hmm. which technically you really shouldn't do as a good Catholic. Yeah. So if you see somebody take the sacrament at an at an Anglican church, it's like okay, well then they're not. It's either they're not Catholic, either they're a good Anglican, or they're a bad Catholic, or they're a bad Catholic. Yeah. They've just gone against Catholicism. There are also oaths of allegiance that specifically denounce Catholicism that were put into place. Yeah. So they had to say things that were very, very specifically against Catholicism. Mm-hmm. That if you are trying to just pass, if you're Catholic, but you're just trying to pass as Anglican, to say those things would be sacrilegious enough to count as a mortal sin. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're, they're cracking down pretty hard. That being said, James made it really clear after after all of these events that he didn't consider it to be a catholic crime yeah he considered it to be a bunch of crazy crazy folks yes he he considered it to be the work of a few conspirators and he said these people are guilty not all catholics are guilty because some catholics did this terrible thing yeah there are some people alive today that could take some notes but he, he made that very clear in fact he went as far as to write all of his diplomats overseas and make sure that they conveyed this message to world leaders. So his diplomat to Spain, his diplomat to France, listen, we're not angry at you because you are a Catholic nation and because an attack was just barely stopped on our soil committed by Catholics. This isn't a time when the punishment for such a thing is being drawn, hanged, drawn, and quartered, yet they're more more tolerant towards the people associated very loosely associated with these war criminals, essentially. Mm-hmm. If you can even call them that in that context, they're not really. Not really. <laughs> they're, they're, they're essentially they're radical fundamentalists. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and, and their, their response is more measured than what we see today. In, in a lot of ways, yes. It's, it's interesting to see, but I, and, and I mean, I think what's interesting about this too is that by James reacting this way, not only does he manage to not only does he manage to keep amicable ties with Catholic, uh, other Catholic powers, which is really important. I mean, uh, you know, he was, he was a seasoned statesman at this point in time. He, was, he, he knew diplomacy. He knew that this was important. Not only did he manage to keep these really close ties with these people, but he also really managed to very specifically demonize the perpetrators of this one crime without condemning the group as a whole. And that's a really fine line to walk especially when you yourself were a target of this attack i mean i can only imagine how emotional he would have been over the whole thing and yet he managed this very measured response it's 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 really interesting to see that that handling in doing so though i mean he essentially alienated the idea of catholicism so much in england that this was really the last time that you saw much of a, a concerted effort to get a catholic power back on the throne so these people not only failed in their the conspirators not only failed in their attempt but essentially dug their own graves in terms of their ideology yeah they really just ruined it for everyone everyone i mean when he was when he first got on the throne james was willing to be 
100% tolerant towards Catholics. He was letting fines go. He was looking the other way as, as priests gave sacraments. And let's not forget that like they had these these no, nobility had actually succeeded in getting a Catholic like a Catholic monarch on the throne, right? Well, in long long before. Yeah, but, but like I mean, it's possible to do it without having to resort to trying to blow up Parliament, right? Like you can. You can seize these opportunities and put someone. Sure, I mean what what they were seeing what they were seeing in the transition between Elizabeth and James was the last chance yeah. because James, I mean James James had sons. Yeah, that's and fair. once that line is established, there's nothing really you can do. And the further they got away from that that transition between Catholicism and Anglicanism in England, uh, the less chance they saw of getting a Catholic on the throne. It's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, when it's been five years, it's not so hard to reverse something like that. Yeah, when it's been one person, it's not that hard to reverse something like that. When there is a hundred year long tradition, yeah. that's that's pretty much it. But I mean, what you're going to see in the next 40, year, 40 years after this, this incident is the Thirty Years' War, the Treaty of Westphalia, a little bit less, less collusion between church and state. Again, not... It doesn't completely go away, but there's a lot less uncertainty in these things, right? And so what ends up coming up is that, you know, if 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 your particular religion, I, I, and I know this doesn't sound that tolerant by today's standards, but if, if your religion isn't matching the state's religion, move somewhere where the state's religion does match your religion. Yeah. And as a, as a, as a consequence of that sort of free exchange, all of a sudden, basically you, you get a, a scenario where if there's a state religion, Pretty much everyone belongs to it, and you no longer have that problem yeah. of of dealing with heresy. But I mean, that's that again. That's still about forty years out. In the, uh, uh, I believe it was sixteen seventy eight. There was another plot that was completely fabricated by someone in order to sort of foster anti Catholic sentiment. But there was another. There was never. It it, it, it was discovered that it wasn't true. Yeah, no, and that guy was jailed. <laughs> so that's fair. Well, yeah, and and interestingly enough, uh, that they they rented the Undercroft as warehouse space until that, and, until 1678. Wow. The, then they stopped doing that. But really, uh, from that from that point on, there was no concerted Catholic effort against uh, the establishment. So that that really ended all of that that sort of active Catholic rebellion in England. Now, in uh, in the 1850s the ban on Catholicism was lifted officially in, in England. I, I mean, people were allowed to practice before that, but that's when it was you know, officially allowed back in, in, into England. So, you know, they're looking at a tough 250 years there, but really, really, it, it put a damper on Catholicism in England for that long. And it, it really, that's the exact opposite of anything they were trying to do. Yeah. Shot themselves in the foot. One of the first things that parliament did when it finally did seat uh in the new year in january was set up november 5th as a commemoration day of of the uh the plot so that's that's not that that's something that happened starting in 1606 wow yeah they basically wanted to use it as a symbol of the fact that james had managed to triumph over this plot uh james in in his in his communication with other with other leaders, he he was actually very humble about the whole thing. It wasn't like I am the best. I found the plot. I'm never gonna die. Basically, what he said was, "I recognize that I rule through divine right, and 
what I've gathered from this is that had God not wanted me to rule England, I would have died that night. Yeah. And basically he said, uh, for me, this, this, this gives me confidence in the fact that Scotland and England can, can work together that, you know, and, and, and I mean, it's a bit of a humble brag. Sure. But it's more than a a bit of one. It's a lot of a humble brag, but what he appealed to was their own sense of divine right to rule. Yeah, of course. And basically said, God didn't want me to die. What are you going to do about it? Just not in those words. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. But he... But so so November 5th was also commemorated or uh, commissioned as a commemoration of the fact that James wasn't killed. That the, the current monarch is the legitimate monarch. Let's celebrate that fact. Let's celebrate that outside powers because that's how Catholicism was seen because the Pope was in Rome. It was seen as sort of a a hostile foreign power at this point in time. Let's commemorate the fact that England is indomitable and unswayed by outside forces. And that's, that's sort of how it was originally conceived of. It was, it it was commemorated by uh, special sermons about, you know, the triumph of the church of England. It was commemorated by ringing of bells, sometimes fireworks. Uh, We talked a little bit in the first part about, sort of they started burning guy fox in effigy yeah people would go around collecting money for the fireworks and they would go around with the effigy yeah and they would ask uh, the the phrase was penny for the guy <laughs> which helped the the whole normalization of the the word guy in, yeah. in uh language and the the guys made from rags would be burnt in effigy sometimes as the pope sometimes as someone else that people didn't like uh, but over the years sort of this idea of strongly anti-catholic sentiment sort of faded away after catholicism was um legalized in uh in the 1850s uh the observance of well sometimes it's called bonfire night sometimes guy fox night things like that but the commemoration of november 5th was no longer mandated by the government but it it still continues to be it's a it's a tradition it tends to be used as like a community event or sometimes even a family tradition yeah Effigies aren't burned as often anymore. It's it's really, really drifted far away. Yeah. And what I find interesting about the whole gunpowder plot, especially since V for Vendetta, which is where we start, you know, where we kind of started this this conversation, yeah. is a sort of glorification of the the plotters, of, of the whole gunpowder plot. Yeah. Um, of Guy Fox specifically. In that people tend to not really understand the context in which they were being anti-authoritarian. Yeah, as like crazy, crazy like zealots. We we can call them zealots. It's absolutely what they were. And it's it's uncomfortable to call them that a little bit. It's in in a number of ways. Number one, you don't think of too many Catholic extremists. Yeah. At least, you know, not since uh, things have kind of died down in in ireland a little bit but you you know you don't you don't really think of that as a a source especially in today's world also because we've we've spent the last when did that movie come out 2006 Uh, i think it was 2006 let's let's say let's say let's say eight years this 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 fifth of november has been used as this sort of weirdly uh, anti-authoritarian a little bit libertarian vague call to arms as being about not allowing yourself to be uh, oppressed. Yeah. When in reality, when you look at the situation, what what actually happened through the plot, the level of oppression against Catholics at that point in time was at, at the lowest it had been 
since they had a Catholic monarch. Yeah. It was it was in a, an environment of quite a bit of tolerance, about as much tolerance as you could expect in the 17th century. And the men who conceived of and went through with the plot, they were kind of the ones like when you when you really break they it were down. The villains of the piece. If I have to <laughs> if I have to choose a side, I'm going with James on this one. Yeah, it's not even if you have to choose a side. It's pretty clear. It's not much of a. It's yeah. it's not much of a. That's a, not a. That's not an internal debate. Hmm. No. Who is in the wrong here? Let's consider. No, it was definitely. <laughs> it was definitely the plotters. It was absolutely the the plotters. They were, and I mean, the thing that I also find interesting about that is that the only reason that we feel that way uh, that that we have this sort of loss of context, this sort of shift of of affinity towards the people plotting is largely due to the amount of time that's passed and the lack of popularity of the of the story of what actually happened. So I was actually going to make this like grand intro to this quote that I have here from the movie, but you've actually segued me perfectly into it. Please. And it, it's actually from like the opening monologue. I'm just going to read the relevant part, though. It says, We are told to remember the idea, not the man, because a man can fail. He can be caught. He can be killed and forgotten, but 400 years later, an idea can still change the world. And that's the point of the movie, right? That is the it's, point it's, of the movie. They do they do a disservice by over-romanticizing Guy Fawkes himself, mm-hmm. but that is the point. It's the idea, and even though what was done was in the wrong spirit, mm-hmm. the idea of change because you don't like what's going on can right. be appropriated for a completely different context. Yeah, the thing the thing that gets me personally, and the reason that you've you've heard the occasional rant Criticism. coming from my way, and 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 let's be clear, I, well, I've clarified this before, but for the audience's benefit, it's nothing personal. This is a you happen to be yeah. you happen to be a face for a, a a point of frustration for me, which is that the idea has lived on, but it's changed so very much that yeah. it's 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 basically become perverted it's actually kind of curious that what happened to the idea in the movie is what's happened to the idea in real life true in the movie the idea is not about you know some people who aren't actually all that poorly off Mm -hmm. doing stuff because they just they really want their way right in the movie they have taken the idea to say we are literally underfoot from the government and Mm -hmm. unable to no civil liberties nothing like there's basically no freedom the government mm-hmm. is literally telling you how to live your life. And they have perverted the original idea of the plotters into something that's far more relatable. Sure. And that is now what's happened with this, I'll call it, it's not a movement, but this this, this almost like celebration of the fifth as this anti, anti-establishment, anti-authority yep. thing. We have perverted it in that same way, maybe because, probably because of the movie. Oh, absolutely and because it's, of the it's movie. it's interesting that real life is literally mimicking this piece of fiction. Well, and here's and here's the crazy thing for me. Why Guy Fox? Why pick Guy Fox of all of all the things to pick as a symbol? And and I'm I'm just, I'm more asking that It's a perfect storm, you know. And I'm and I'm asking that question more of, you know, Frank Miller 20 years ago yeah, when he wrote the thing than exactly. I am of, of you or of anyone else that it's likes the, the movie, but why? It's the mask. But I mean even even the mask, Guy Fox did not wear a mask. That is just a mask of Guy Fox's face. Why are we not looking to, say, um, Oliver Cromwell in the English uh, Civil War, who was the face of a movement to basically take a, a tyrant king, 
who was unwilling or unable to make democratic changes to the society and was eventually and the society was eventually pushed to a breaking point where they were forced to uh, or or where they forced him to abdicate and it was a societal movement not the, a group of terrorists why are we not looking question. at uh, you know is there an Oliver Cromwell night no there there isn't but that's what it is it's accessibility it's the same reason we do this podcast true is to get it out there true. now you know in the ideal world everyone will listen to this podcast and know the real story and then these better parallels can be drawn in the future right true but the thing is that that guy fox day like the the the, the 5th of november I, I personally i had never heard of november 5th before yeah, the movie me either. i the 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 popularization of this story in a way revitalize the remembering of this figure. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a it's, chicken and egg thing, really right? It's a really series of events that's led us to where we are. Yeah, and again, my, my question my question is more for the, the man who wrote the, the comic book that was made into the movie than anything else. It's, it's I mean, my, my, my instinct is to, is, is that his, his answer would be because it's about an individual making a change, yeah. even though it, it was a group of individuals, not one person, but it's, it's, it's gotta be that because people will recognize the name Guy Fox. Right. But and it's I mean, person. and even then it helps that he was a British author. Right. I, I had had never heard of Guy Fox again before Me the movie. Um, well, tangentially through Harry Potter. Okay, fair enough. Fox the Phoenix. Fox yeah. the Phoenix, sure. named after Guy Fox because of the whole burning. The burning thing. thing, yeah. No, but uh, ab- absolutely. But I mean, why not? Why not a, a, a Gavrilo Principe day? The man who uh, shot the uh, uh, shot Franz Ferdinand to begin World War One. Is that actually a thing, though? Like that day? Is it called that? Do people in that country know that. No, but I mean, there's also never. But I mean, the thing the thing that we're supposed to remember on Guy Fox Day is never be like Guy Fox. <laughs> Guy Fox is bad. And if there was ever a day that was set up to be like never assassinate an archduke who's actually trying to make it easier on your people. Yeah. If that day had happened, it could just as easily have been that. But that's far more recent. People know that he was a bad guy. But then is is this not a good thing then? To I... to to take to take what's essentially a negative message and turn it into a positive one? That's a really interesting question. And I don't have uh, a single positive answer. My personal opinion of it is that some things are, by their context, a little bit too tarnished to be revived. Sure. But I and also this isn't one of them. But I, well, I also recognize I also recognize that you need to know that context in order for that that designation to take place. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess my only ca- counterexample to that would be the people who think it's cool to fly a Confederate flag on the back of their pickup truck. Yeah. The fact that they don't understand the context of that, I don't know if that's a great rationale for for thinking that it's a positive symbol. Yeah. In, in the same way, I'm not sure that not knowing the full story of Guy Fox is the best excuse for glorifying... Uh, uh, a terrorist. Uh, yeah, a, 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 yeah, a terrorist. Yeah. So that's 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 the reason that personally I'm not sure it's the best symbol, uh, especially when you know Sony Media is making <laughs> millions of dollars selling people those those, uh, those plastic masks, masks so but they can stick it to the man. I, I guess the takeaway here would be that just understand what happened mm-hmm. and how and, if, if you're going to celebrate the fifth of November the way that I do, sure, do it because you 
you understand that the symbol has been appropriated to mean something else. Yeah. And, and only because of that. Because Guy Fawkes was a Yeah. I, I, I couldn't put it better. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And, and that's, that's why I do this show. I, I, think, I think context is so important, especially in a symbolic manner. And if you, don't, if you don't understand the context, if you don't understand where we've come from, really be careful about what sort of symbols, what sort of movements, what sort of people you decide to latch on to, yeah. because they could always turn out to be uh, a religious fundamentalist terrorist. Yeah. So... Not exactly the people you want to be wearing masks of. If you wear the mask, know, know whose mask you're wearing. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying if, to say. If you're say. wearing these mask, that's one thing. If you're wearing Guy Fox's face, that's probably not the greatest thing. It's a little bit different. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on today. No problem. Thanks Always for a pleasure. Me. Always a pleasure. The fact that our collective memory of the gunpowder plot has faded is a strong example of how time can blur the details of significant events. Without the revival in popularity by the film V for Vendetta, there's a good chance that the story of Guy Fawkes would be confined to the legacy bonfire night festivals in England and some of the more specialized history lectures on the early Stuart period. Next time on HI 101, we'll be tackling a nice light subject, Napoleon Bonaparte. Watch for that episode on December 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.